Hello, everybody. Come on in. Grab a seat. Make yourself at home, as you should when you're in Bradley's house. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Noel Family Foundation and my best virtual friend, Kelly Noel. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Jared. How are you doing? Good. See, I took it easy on you today. I didn't. You did. I, I, went, I went light on the intro. We had a lot of fun in the last one. Yeah. Never know what to expect. Keep no, me on my abs- toes. Good. That's what I'm here to do. Um, <laughs> we had a, an awesome show uh, last week. Uh, we just keep having a lot of fun doing this podcast, and people are really starting to pick up and, and enjoy this. Uh, we can't thank you guys enough for sharing it and spreading the word all over the place. Uh, before we get started, can can we wish a happy belated birthday to your son? That would be lovely, yes. My youngest just turned 18 years old on St. Patrick's Day, so I have no more babies. It's Heartbreaking, but they're wonderful young men, so I can't complain. <laughs> Man, there's nothing worse than going from a kid to an adult. I'll tell you right now, he messed up. I told you. <laughs> I guess he didn't. No he didn't have much of a choice. Now, Kelly, to keep up with the tradition of the amazing guests that we've been having joining us in Bradley's house today, I am super excited as we have one of my favorite musicians joining us today. Uh, for years, I've been following his band, Bumpin' Uglies, uh, on Facebook uh, and checking them out whenever I can. I was lucky enough to pick them up in Portland, Oregon, probably about five or six years ago, and I was just absolutely blown away. Today, joining us in Bradley's house is Bumpin' Uglies frontman, Brandon Hardesty. Brandon, how you doing today, man? Well, good, man. I, I, uh, I've, I've been rewatching The Sopranos recently, and I just watched a solid two episodes of the first, uh, the first season. Stopped that to do this interview, so I'm feeling, feeling good about myself. Well, Brandon, we, we appreciate you putting The Sopranos down and, and coming and joining us here on Bradley's house. Had I known you've been digging into The Sopranos, I would have just made it real easy and just said, uh, hey, Beehard, how you doing? Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good, man. It's, I'm, I'm good. It's, it's like I'm revisiting old friends, it feels like. <laughs> Very nice. We have been talking about having you on the show for quite a while. So thank you for finally coming on. We're really stoked to be able to make this happen. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Brandon, um, as I had mentioned um, probably about five or six years ago, I came across your music uh, on Facebook. Um, and I saw, you know, you're starting to get shared in a couple of the groups that I followed and I'm like, yeah, all right. You know, it's another white guy, reggae band. I get it. Um, <laughs> you know, they've, they've got a, they got a pretty cool name and, um, someone shared the song, uh, I guess maybe it was bad decisions. And I'm like, all right, fine. I give, this is like the fourth time I've seen it today. I clicked on it and Great like song. 20 seconds into the song, I was just like, what the fuck is this? Where did this guy come from? Uh, and I was totally hooked uh, from there. So uh, it's really cool to, to be able to have you on the show and, and doing this. And uh, much like your friend Howie, who we had on a few episodes back, um, I think it's really awesome to know that you are not a Southern California uh, uh, band. You are actually from the East Coast. Uh, how did you get into this genre and style of music? Well, okay, so out here we we call it crab reggae, and um, yeah, you know, I just uh, <laughs> it's like I'm trying, I I don't know why that's so funny to me, but I, the, the the dudes from the Expendables, <laughs> we we did a tour with them, 
and uh, they told me to tell Howie um, it's something about calling him dirty crab reggae, and <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's I, awesome. I, yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to make that a thing now. It's East Coast crab reggae. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, trend. yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like I got into this kind of music like, like, uh, like a lot of other people did. Which really, it all started with Sublime for me. Like I, you know, I, I didn't like grow up really into reggae um my one of my first introductions to it was sublime and that's like what i thought reggae was for a long time like you know there's like bob marley and there's sublime and bob marley didn't you know like i it was okay you know i I never loved it but like i enjoyed it but like sublime like moved me and i spent you know at like 18 or 19 i didn't know enough about music to know what it was and i think i I figured it out later in life what it was it was like the hip-hop element of it because i always like growing up like i loved rap music like i feel like from the first from the first time i heard like dmx i was like yes this is it <laughs> you know like boom bop bat hit hop and, and stuff like that and um you know sublime had a lot of that element to me and it just hooked me between the beats and and bradley's voice and um you know so for a long time like i thought that was reggae so that's kind of like i you know that that was my introduction to all of this and um i was hooked you know i started my first band at 21 22 and that's when i was like really into sublime so that's kind of what we did you know like like just started kind of emulating that thing and and it went from there you know it it eventually like it was like it became like a tree where there was like a bunch of branches going in different directions but it was always rooted in that like hip-hop punky reggae kind of foundation that's cool do you remember how old you were when you first heard sublime I remember distinctly the first time I heard Sublime, like being like eight or nine, um, and ice skating. Um, so I was born in '86. Oh, that's so, awesome. so like eight, like I remember specifically "Wrong Way" was the song that I heard, um, and it was probably right around the time the self-titled record came out, and it was like it was because it was on the radio, you know, and like I just had never really heard anything like that, like the the ska thing. And it was, you know, it was like, wow, this is really cool. But then I didn't, you know, it wasn't anything, like, as a kid, I wasn't into into Sublime like that. You know, I didn't really get into Sublime until later in life, like, probably, like, 16, really around the time I started getting fucked up, you know. And, um... <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, you know, like, that that was the first time I heard them. And then, um, revisited it later in life and really, like, fell in love with it. So when you first started a band, what kind of music were you playing? Oh man, we were just like whatever we could. We were just like a, it was just a bar band thing. Like I was work, like so like right out of high school, I started working at my dad's restaurant because um, I didn't really do the all you know all my friends that I grew up with went to college and I just wasn't doing college like I did community college. So I started waiting tables, you know, and then like you know. I you, like what waiting tables you start making like a hundred, a hundred fifty dollars a shift and it's like eighteen, you're like, Holy shit, this is I could live off this the rest of my life. This is it, this is what I'm gonna do. So I was like, fuck everything else. Like I'm waiting tables. So then I did that for a few years and I was like, Well, no, I don't <laughs> this kind of sucks. I don't want to do this the rest of my life and uh you know, I was playing guitar and, and um my manager was a bass player and he'd been in bands a bunch and um he had the idea of of starting a band with me because I was playing like an open mic at the restaurant and like open mics around town and whatnot and you know he was you know he was like you know I could book us gigs I could do all this stuff I have all the gear so I was like you know this will be fun and we just played cover gigs you know we were playing sublime songs and Jack Johnson songs and 
Beatles songs and radio, you know, bar music. And instantly I was like, whoa, this is awesome. And like, as a kid, I was always really into reading and, um, and writing. And, and, you know, I, I always loved English and just, just literature in general. So like, as soon as I really started like doing this with music, I started writing and, um, that's when I really fell in love with it. Like I, I loved singing like off the jump, like being in a band and singing and performing for people. And then when I started adding the writing element into it, I was like, wow, this is like this, like it made me feel something like it was like, you know, like I, I really like felt like I had a, a purpose and something that I wanted to do. And I just kind of got all in on it. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make a living out of this, you know? That's awesome. Do you do most of the writing for Bumpin' Uglies? I do. I, I write all the lyrics and, um, I mean like nice. I write, you know, I, I would say I, I write the songs. Um, but like, you know, the, the way we do it is like, I, I write a song like with, with, uh, the chords and the melody and the lyrics, and then we'll get together and arrange the music to record it. Um, but yeah, it, it pretty much all starts with me and an acoustic guitar and the lyrics. That's really cool. And how long have you guys been playing together, the current group of guys? Um, I've been doing it since 2008. Um, Wolfie got in around around 2010, and then TJ got in around 2015. Nice. You guys have been at it a while. Yeah, yeah. It's been a minute for sure. <laughs> do you guys do a whole lot of touring? I mean, obviously pre-COVID, were you doing a lot of touring? I mean, we, we called it the never-ending tour before COVID. We, we just didn't stop, you know, and that's like how I learned, you know, like I, they don't like write books on this shit. It's not like you can get an apprenticeship to learn <laughs> how to tour. Like you kind of just have to go yeah. out and figure it out. Like I always tell people when they ask me, it's just a matter of like who wants it the most. And like, yeah, it, it's a matter of going out and, and wanting it and, and being willing to put in the hours and also um, just being smart about you know, your resources, like your money and, um, and just the decisions that you make, you know, like, like, like it, it's unfortunate, but like this business is like really hard. It's a really expensive business to get into. And, and, you know, like a band like us, like we didn't have any investors or, you know, we didn't have like rich parents helping us out. So it's like, we were making our money playing bar gigs around town. Like when I started this band, I was selling weed and I like, I was like getting to the point in my life where I was getting like a lot of anxiety from selling weed. So I decided to stop selling weed and I took my, my re-up money. Like I was buying a quarter pound at a time and I, so I took that money and I bought a PA and then I started playing bar gigs <laughs> and like fucking, uh, you know, t- taking the money from the bar gigs and, you, you know, save that money. You pay your bar tab at the end of the night. You give each guy like, you know, like we're probably doing like 30 to 50 bucks a night and the rest of it you put into a band fund so that you can reinvest yeah. and, and, have money for the studio or have money for a van or have money for whatever. And then it's just like, literally it's been 12 years of that. Like just like slowly, but surely making more money and then reinvesting that money so that, you know, eventually you can get like merch or, you know, do whatever just to like level up and, and, and do stuff. You know. So did that whole touring thing get harder as you started a family? I mean, I know you have a beautiful wife and a baby and one on the way. Congratulations. And honestly, it's gotten easier because like, as soon as we started making like decent money, everything got easier. <laughs> Cause like when, when there, when we were, when we weren't making money, it was a nightmare, you know, like you're like, I mean, you know, it felt like cowboys to an extent because it's like utter freedom, but like we were literally like driving around the country in a van that would break down <laughs> just when, like intermittently and, um, you know, sleeping on strangers floors, playing for a hundred to $250 a night. Like you just, it's not sustainable. And then like, right. 
it's just, but like, you know, when you start making like decent money, like really when, when we got our, our current booking agent, that's when shit started getting easier because we started making like proper money and I'm, and we're not like killing it by any stretch of the imagination, but we're, you know, it's enough to like, you know, pay your bills and like, and like sleep in hotels as opposed to sleeping on strangers floors, you know, like <laughs> That's a game that's changer. Al- yeah, that's always nice. I, I mean, I feel like it happened, I guess for me, from the outside looking in, I feel like it happened like so fast. I'm sure for you, it probably didn't feel as fast going through what you're going through. But it was like one day you kind of had this like little underground buzz. And then the next thing you know, you've got these groups on Facebook that are just blowing up. And well, buzz was so strong. Well, what it was is it, it does seem like... It, it, so, like, essentially, when I started working with my agent, you know, he told me, he was like, look, man, like, you've been touring for, like, six or seven years, but we're, we have to start from, from ground zero because you've been doing it wrong. Like, you've just been playing bars, you know, like, touring, like, there's there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it, and we were doing it the wrong way. Like, it's, it's just like anything else where it's, like, the, it's relationship-based. So, like, you want to get on festivals and you want to get on tours and stuff. It's a matter of developing relationships with the promoters that book those festivals, you know, so like you want to play their clubs and, and whatnot. So like, you know, but that that said, like when we started working with our agent about four years ago, that's when shit started clicking. And, and a, re- a big reason for that was A, like developing those relationships and starting to do it the right way. But then B, also, like like I said, we started making proper money and we did have that buzz going, that organic buzz that was like the result of... That was just me being active on Facebook and going in groups and promoting us. That was Dawn, who runs our our Facebook group, being super active and 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 helping grow the buzz, um, and doing like like free things, you know, like we had. So that's that created the organic thing. But then once we were started making real money, that was one of the first things I did is I started reinvesting money into marketing, like heavily. Like as soon as like I, we had like an expendable income, you know, like. Uh, doing paid marketing, like social media buys, like that shit helped so much. Like I, I, I try to, sh- to emphasize that to people. Like, th- like I feel like you could not spend enough money on marketing. Like it's, it's one of the most important things you could do as a band, I think. And that, that so really no manual for this. Like, how did you learn all this stuff? Was well, it sort of common sense or I grew up in a business oriented family. Like my dad owned, um, two restaurants growing up and he was super into, uh, he's just always about his business, you know? And like, I did go to, I mean, I, so I did, I did go to community college for for business and, you know, like I ended up, I, I ended up getting to about like a semester away from a degree in finance. I, I would not credit any of this stuff to anything I learned in school. I think most of it is just like, the upbringing that I had and like my dad kind of always like beating it into my head, like being good with money and and having like a plan B and a plan C and a plan D and like, you know, like something he always, something he always said was like, you know, like working in a restaurant, like you can't like own a restaurant unless you know how to wash the dishes. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and I've kind of always held that philosophy. Like, like as soon as I figured out that this is something I wanted to do, I wanted to learn everything about it. And I've always been very, I, I'm not like, you know, I have pride just like anyone else, but I'm not too proud. Like I'm, I'm the first to ask anyone a question if I have, if I'm curious about something. Like I am nice. shame, I'm like shameless about hitting people up and like asking for advice or asking for favors or asking for whatever. Like I'm, I'm just trying, I, I have no problem putting my pride on the back burner to, to figure something out. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, you got to treat it like a business. I think that's the hard part for most musicians because you're an artist, you're creative, but then having to, you know, treat your music as a business to really make anything happen. That's got to be tough. It is. It, it, it is. I, I honestly get like a lot of satisfaction out of it because it's like, I'm, I'm good at it. And I, um, and it's just like, it, it's like a whole nother itch that you get to scratch. It's like totally different from the creative aspect. I don't know. It's almost like a puzzle. Like, you know, like I, 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 I so I love risk. I love the game risk. You know what I mean? I love all those kind of games. Like, 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 commit um like any like conquer the world kind of shit you know what i mean so to me it's almost like that where it's like resource management and like connecting the dots to figure out how to do shit you know yeah Yeah. definitely what are some of the perils of of life on the road i mean with all the touring that you guys have done there's got to be a lot of ups and downs huh yeah i mean it's dangerous for sure like just driving that much you're driving eight hours a day just shit happens you know um that, you know, breaking down is, is scary. Just, um, you know, every, like just a lot of drugs, a lot of, a lot of alcohol, a lot of, you know, inner drama amongst the people that you're with. Like that, that's a big thing. You know, like you want to make sure, sure the people you're with, like your relationships are like solid and that there's a certain amount of mutual respect or else it can get super unpleasant. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast is, um, you know, addiction and recovery and that kind of thing and, and definitely how that intersects with music. And I know, um, just you know, from following you personally on social media that you've had times where you were sober on tour and not sober on tour. And what are, what's the difference like for you personally in those two? I mean, like, so right now I'm, I'm sober. I've been, I haven't had a drink in about 15 months. And I'm not an alcoholic. Like I've, I've, I've figured that out about myself through my sobriety, but like I've just decided to stay sober for my own health and for a variety of reasons. One of which is like, I'm way, way better at singing when I'm not drinking. And it's like, it's funny because I kind of got like a lot. I, I, I was a really good drunk, you know, like I, I was very good at handling my shit drunk. <laughs> like, <laughs> good drunk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I would be like just walking around on stage drinking whiskey out the bottle and like rapping or whatever, you know what I mean? And I, I, I always could ha- hang and do it, you know, and I always got the job done. But like we started recording our sets probably mid-2019 when we started touring with an in-ear rig. I just started recording our sets. And, you know, I like when I really would listen back to it, you could hear towards the end of the night, you know, like I was still getting the job done, but like my voice would, I would start to slur and I'd start to like, you know, like get a little raspy and shit. Like you could just tell the whiskey was like catching up with me. It wasn't anything bad. It wasn't like I, it was like probably 95% of people wouldn't care, but I could care it. But like then like when I was sober and I was, I recorded the set and listened back to the game tape. It's like I was on from beginning to end, just like killing it. And it's like once again, like getting back to just like pride and like this is what I do for a living. It's like if I, if I'm going to do this for a living, like I don't want to be. I don't want to be phoning it. I don't want to do any, like, I want to be the best, you know, I want to be fucking awesome and like do it consistently awesome. So it's like, if, if not drinking makes me better then fuck it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I just won't drink, you know? And it's like, it's, it's one of the things that like, that's just one element of it. You know, like the other element is like the health aspect of it. And just, uh, you know, like becoming a father, like I kind of, I like the idea of like my kid, not growing up and seeing his dad like sloppy drunk, you know, and like 
putting two to two together and figuring out like that's a thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. I can't believe you just said you're not a drunk. I've always lived by the, you know, I'm a goddamn drunk. Alcoholics go to meetings. Well, no, I mean, it, so well, the I'm point of, be hard. the point of that line, it's a great was, song. Like, I mean, the, the point of that line, there, there's a serious difference between a drunk and an alcoholic, you know, like an alcoholic, someone who's in recovery, who has like, uh, who admits they have a problem. I would argue a drunk is someone who's in denial, you know, and, and is you know, very much still in the bottle, you know. I'm just having some fun with you. Now, was there a point with Bumpin' Uglies where you got a good run of songs together that you wrote and you were like, oh shit, man, this is, this is gonna happen. I mean, we're, we're gonna do this thing. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was probably right around the Beast from the East record when I realized shit was like clicking. You know, like I always, I, I don't know, I always kind of like felt strongly about what we were doing and, and like my ability as a songwriter. Um, but like, I really started to see shit was clicking at, with, with beasts from the East, you know, like working with Howie is one of the best things we ever did. Cause like, I'm like my head as a, as a writer, I've always been so much more focused on like the lyrics like, I'm just, I, that's just what I care about more is, is lyrics than music. Like, I think lyrics is what moved me. And, um, like, so when we would go in the recording, when we would go into recording, like, we would just go in and try to get the best live version of the song. And it was, it was fine, but it just wasn't as full or professional. And then Howie is just like such a monster producer and has such a good ear for the other side of it. And it's just something I never thought of. And and that was the first record we made with him was beast from the East. So it was like, we had these songs that I was feeling good about, but we were really at that point, like finding a better sound, like a bigger sound. And it was resonating with people, you know, like we, we dropped all in stride like a year before we dropped the record and people just lost their fucking minds because it was the, it was a great song. Yeah, it, it's it's great. Like Ted kills it, but it was also just like the fullest sound that we'd ever had, and it was like, oh man, okay. So this was like, you know, it's just another piece of the puzzle. It was like, okay, so this is something we need to do. You know, we need to level up the sounds, like with this, uh, you know, the full on production. When we had Howie on the podcast, he said something that still sticks with me, where he said when he's writing, he wants every single lyric to be tattoo worthy, right? Like he wants every single line to hit so perfectly that it's something that you, you could get tattooed on your body. And I thought to myself, that's gotta be crazy pressure as a, as a songwriter. Do you ever find yourself like, you know, especially after that beast from the East album, just, I mean, it just blew up. What was it like being like, shit, man, I got to get back and do this again. Uh, I mean, I'm always like worried about like if the, if the well runs dry, you know. But like that said, it's never really been an issue. At the same time, like and, and honestly, like the older I get, um, the less like romantic songwriting becomes to me. You know, it, it's it really is like you know, like when you're getting into it, you think of like you think of some like brooding dude with a fucking glass of scotch and, and a typewriter and a candle fucking sitting at a table, like <laughs> writing up fucking lyrics. And it's like this super 
brooding thing. That, you know what I'm saying? Is that not how it goes? Fuck no, dude. No. Like, that's like, no. <laughs> no. Like, yeah. And like, when I was younger, man, like, I would like just sit around and like wait for an inspiration to like, to hit me. And then like, I would be like, oh man. And then I'd work on the song and it would become like a thing. But like, as I've gotten older, um, I mean, it's, I treat it like a job, dude. Like I, I wrote like almost 20 songs in the month of February just cause I woke up every day. I made a pot of coffee. I went down to my studio, smoked a little weed, fucking, I, you know, I'd come up with an idea and I'd write a song. It's, it's just like, it's, it's a discipline, you know, like, and it's, it's not everything you write has to be like incredible. You, you know, you don't have to like fucking release the bad stuff, but it's, it's just an exercise and a muscle just like anything else, you know, like the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, exactly. And the, the biggest thing is just making sure that you do it. That COVID song you wrote was awesome. I think would you drop that probably like March last year? You, you started throwing that out there that you you wrote the song about COVID kind of having you stuck at home and and I mean that was awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was you know it's just something I was doing to pass the time. I just thought that like that was like really I you know I, I did a bunch of projects like that just to occupy my mind throughout quarantine and COVID, and that you know that was the first thing was writing, releasing, and recording a song a week. Do you think you'd ever want your kids to go into the music industry? Oh, man. I, I always joke and say no. <laughs> and like, I, I just want my kid to be happy, man. I want, him to, I, I want him to be, like, happy and fulfilled. And, you know, I'd like to say independent, but, like, that's not for everyone, you know? Like, I, I, I really enjoy being my own boss and being in charge of my own destiny. But, you know, there's a lot of people, I think, who find, like, happiness with, like, not having to worry about finding their own meal. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know, the, I think there's a lot of people right. who would enjoy, like, putting in 40 hours a week and having reliable health care and, 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 you know, not having that stress of it. So, like, all, I just want him to be happy and, like, fulfilled, you know, whatever that looks like. And if he is, if he does get into the music industry, I, I can definitely help him a lot and tell him what not to do, you know. Yeah, yeah help, sure. help avoid some of those landmines that are out there. Um, now, this Kelly and I were actually just having this conversation, oddly enough, probably just about a week ago. Um, you know, you have a lot of really fun songs that I, I enjoyed. I mentioned Bad Decisions early. Um, fuck it. I always get a kick out of. Uh, addictive Personality, I think, is amazing. But, and I've told yeah. you this before, uh, dude, uh, Hallucinations is a hit. I mean, that is a hit record. That is a song that should be played on the radio constantly. That song is one that when I hear it, I'm just like, wow. I mean, where, where did that song come from? And do you think that's one of your more popular songs? Do you get, do you get that requested more than any of the other ones? Yeah. People love that song, man. Like I, I just, I wrote that song about a period of my life that like, and honestly, it's like, it's the, it's it's the same reason that I like love Sublime is like why people love that song and it's because like everybody relates to that period of their life you know like I was I wrote that song when I was like 22 23 and like I was hanging out with my my friends from that didn't go to college and we were all just kind of shitheads that were selling weed and fucking we all played a lot of poker and fucking just got fucked up all the time you know and it was like family you know that it it was just this uh this motley crew of, of, of belligerence, you know? and, and like, 
it's it's like it's very romantic and very like free and very um it's a period you know it's a it's a period that's like not sustainable i would argue it's like you know no one i i don't think i would like i'm 35 i wouldn't want to be living that way fucking at this point in my life but like i definitely look back and listen to that period or you know i, mean, I look back at that period very fondly and i'm like fuck yeah like we were we were killing it you know like you, you just feel like you're unstoppable at that age and um I think that's why people relate, you know, they, 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 they love that kind of shit. It's, it's, I think I, 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 I personally, like, I see a lot of that same thing in Sublime, you know? You had mentioned that your dad is real business minded, owned two restaurants. Um, you started working, you know, there in your, in your career. That was your first gig. Um, did he have aspirations of you maybe taking over the restaurants or moving you in? And what did he think when you were like, Hey man, I'm going on the tour and we're called bumping uglies. He did not, he wanted me to go to college. He wanted both me and my brother to go to college. Cause like, you know, he, it's kind of like, just like what I said with my kid, like, you know, he ran his own business his whole life and it's hard. That shit's hard. Like no matter what you do, it's just fucking hard and it's stressful. And I don't think he wanted that for us. I think, you know, like my dad came from the generation where if you had a college degree, that meant, that really meant something, you know, like granted, like it ended up being where it is now or it doesn't really mean as much, but you know, that's what I think that's what he really wanted for us was to be educated. Now, like the band, you know, he definitely, him and my mom both like always worried about me because like I didn't do well in school just cause I didn't, you know, it's not like I'm dumb. I just didn't fucking care about school. So I didn't really try at school. And then, you know, like I, then I was like working at the restaurant, um, you know, and just getting fucked up and like making money and doing whatever. But like, you know, like when I found this band thing, I was all in on it, you know, and it took a while for them to realize that it was something that I want, you know, cause it's like, who wants to hear that their kid is starting a band? Like, or like that's in the, like telling your parents, like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, it, it took a while to convince them that like, it was this thing that was going to work. And I actually like remember distinctly the first time my dad like really took it seriously. And it was like, he had a, he had a house down or like a, like a, condo kind of thing down in sarasota florida and we were down there on tour in the early years and we met up with him and crashed with him while we were down there and he took me and the boys out to like a hooters type thing and just got us fucking hammered on a sunday and just bought us apps and we were just bullshitting and telling stories and stuff and it was like one it was like the first time he'd ever like talked to me like a man you know what i mean it was tell he was like telling me wars telling me like war stories from like when he was my age and just doing all this fucked up shit in the seventies, <laughs> you know? And it was like one of those things, like I could really tell at that point, like he didn't get what I was doing, but he respected that I was doing it, you know, and that I was treating it seriously and I was treating it like a business. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was, that's, uh, I, you know, when you get to have that opportunity where you can like actually hang out with your dad man to man rather than, you know, father, son, um, you know, that, that's pretty big. And, uh, I'm sure that was really cool for you. And I'm sure now they, they kind of realize, Hey, this, he, he knows what he was doing. This, this worked. Oh, out. yeah. Well, my mom, now? my mom on the other end, <laughs> like, you know, she was, she was always supportive, but I don't think she ever really got it until she got on Facebook. And then she got, when, when she got on Facebook, she eventually discovered Ugly's Nation. And then she saw this like community that we'd created and she was like, holy shit, like people actually care about my son's band. Like, 
And then I was like, Mom, I've been trying to tell you this. Like, people fuck with us. Like, it's cool. Like, I'm <laughs> going to be all right. Like, <laughs> For those who don't know, Ugly's Nation is the fan group on Facebook. Great group of people, by the way. So much positivity and just just really good people. I've met some amazing people in there. And um, I think it's really cool that you have such uh, a good core following, you know. And I think that that's, that makes a huge difference when – when you start having people that, you know, that are promoting for you and, and, um, you know, are really all about your music. I mean, that's gotta be a great feeling. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's like, it's, uh, I mean, that's the foundation of all of this. Like that's what allows us yeah. to do this is because it's, it's all, you know, that's what finances it is fan support. So it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of that. And I, 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 tr- you know, I will never take that for granted. And I try to just be as appreciative as possible and, you know, just like, I, I think a lot of it too is like working in the restaurant business for so long and then just always kind of like being around people. And, and I just, I, I genuinely like interacting with people and I'm kind of just like a goofy dude. So like, I just like fucking <laughs> with people, you know? So it's, 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 I don't know. I just try, try to treat it like, like just fucking around with people in there, you know? <laughs> yeah. So who came up with the name Bumpin' Uglies? Oh my God. It's, that's like one of my biggest regrets is like, if I'd known I was going to like end up doing this for a living, like I, we would, I, I wish we could have a different name, but, um, it was, <laughs> he's like, it's my buddy Zach that I like actually started the band with like a million years ago. Like he, uh, he, he played percussion and we were just trying to think of a, na- a band name and we wanted it to be memorable and funny. And he came up with bumping uglies and it was the only thing we didn't all hate. So we we're like, fuck it, let's be bumping uglies. And, <laughs> nice. I, the band Brad was in before Sublime was Sloppy Seconds. The <laughs> name for Sublime. They were like, "Yeah, we need something a little bit more, you know, acceptable for radio." <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah, like it's no. I feel, <laughs> it's my first band. It's like I did not expect it to be to to go this far. I definitely would have probably put the kibosh on Bumpin' Uglies, but at this point, it is what it is. It's a great size twenty. Say again? I said hindsight's twenty twenty, man. You know? Exactly, exactly, man. It's all part of the story at this point. So. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a fun uh, Facebook group story, Brandon. Um, as the podcast was getting going, I was looking for like-minded individuals to where I could share the podcast with people that would enjoy it. And, uh, so I just started digging through the groups of, uh, the bands that were on the house that Bradley built and, you know, finding their fan groups. And, um, I, obviously I was already in Ugly's Nation and I found another group, uh, another Bumpin' Ugly's group. And I'm like, oh man, sweet. These are people that are also into Bumpin' Ugly's. And it seems like maybe they just like the hits, you know, they're, they're not maybe huge Bumpin' Ugly's fans, but they like the singles. So, um, I <laughs> hop in there and, uh, and I start sharing some posts and finally one day someone's like, why, why do you keep sharing only this in here? And, uh, you know, why are you just self-promoting in here? And I'm like, well, I feel like you guys are all self-promoting in here. All I see are fucking selfies of people in here. And some of you guys are scantily clad. And they're like, uh, yeah, this is a singles group for fans of Bumping Ugly. That's what we're here to do. And I was just like, oh, 
All right. Single makes, people, not single yeah, songs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so single, <laughs> single people that enjoy bump and ugly. So, uh, shout out to the, to the bump and ugly singles group. Um, sorry that I, I flooded your feed for a little while there. And, and I hope, I hope people are making <laughs> bump and uglies, uh, matches in there. I, I hope people are meeting and, and, and they're bumping uglies off of it. That's what I'm hoping for. Honestly, so. that, that's, that's the whole reason I got into the music business was to get other guys laid. So that's fucking. Mission accomplished, I guess. Mission accomplished. Yeah, Yeah, guaranteed. So uh, there's the one side of you, Brandon, who's playing this, you know, awesome, you know, rock, reggae, rap. You're doing a little bit of everything, much like Sublime did. Um, But then there's also the version of you that's that's hanging out and and watching and listening to a lot of Cocomelon these days, right? (laughs) Yeah. Fucking fuck, dude. (laughs) Fuck Cocomelon. Yeah, that fucking... That fucking JJ, I don't understand what's so funny about him lying after he gets caught eating sugar. Like, you got busted, dad wants you to open your mouth, and then we all laugh it off? I mean, that goes down in my house, some shit's happening. Yeah, dude, he's a, li- he's a-, he's a little bastard. <laughs> okay, for those of us who don't have young children, can you share what Cocomelon is? It's just cartoon that has, like, it. just the songs are, like, very basic and, and like, they they almost sound like nursery they they yeah they're like nursery rhyme songs but it's all about like lessons and shit and um it's <laughs> it's it's like it really to me it's like no different than any other kids show but it's like so addicting like my kid he wakes up in the morning and he runs in and he hops into bed and he starts like poking us he's like coco melon coco melon and then you like put it on <laughs> and like he'll be watching it and if it starts buffering you know what I mean? He like freaks out. He's like, ah, ah. you know, what I mean? it's like not, it's not healthy at all. You know, like it, his reaction. Oh, no. I I I had mentioned on Facebook, and as a disclaimer, I don't do this, but I'm pretty sure I could turn on Cocomelon and like go to the grocery store and get gas and come back, and my three year old would be fine. He wouldn't move from the spot that, that he's in because like once that gets on, man, he is in the zone. There is just nothing breaking him away. Dude. I've started like, I've started like waking up in the morning and having those songs stuck in my head. And it's, it's just the worst. (laughs) It makes me so sad. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to have to check it out. No, you don't, you you don't, you don't have to, (laughs) you don't have to check it out uh, at all. But I, I saw you, I saw you mention it on Facebook a few nights ago, Brandon. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm also dealing with this Cocomelon shit. Um, you know, I can't, I, my kid doesn't care what I got going on if Cocomelon's on. How, how old's your kid? Uh, so my youngest is three and he is just like hooked. But here's the thing. Like I get a lot of shit from people. They're like, you can't let your kid have that much screen time. You, you can't let him sit and watch TV. And I'm like, listen, they're teaching him to count and say please and thank you. And I don't want to do that. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, <laughs> They're, they're hooking me up. Otherwise, I'm getting out the fucking flashcards and going through the alphabet with them, but I could just flap it on the TV and, you know, they're, they're doing it for me. So I guess I kind of owe them, I owe them a little, a little thank you, I suppose. Yeah, man. Parenting should, tips on the Bradley's House podcast. You should, <laughs> you should check out a uh, trash truck on Netflix. That was a really good one. That was like, I was really enjoying before Coca Melon took over. My son's first one was Boss Baby, man. Like the Boss Baby series on Netflix, just like, God, I mean, he was just so enamored by it. And when that wore off, I was like, what am I going to do here? And that's right when we found Cocomelon and Pink Fong. Um, 
I've literally, my three-year-old has been injured trying to run into the room when he hears the pink fong click on. Because, like, when I need to get him to sit, sit him down, I'll either throw on melon or, or a pink fong thing. And when that intro, pink fong, and you just hear the feet compounding. Boom, 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 boom. He can't get in the fast enough. So, um, you know, I guess I like to have some fun with it. But realistically, that's, like, kind of like my co-parent right now. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever gets it done, man. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. So, Brandon, you were on uh, the House That Bradley Built album. Thank you guys so much for being a part of that awesome project. We were stoked to have you guys do a song. Tell me how you came up with Same in the End. I I just, I I wanted to do one that was like a little punkier. I've always loved that song. Um, It's just a fun song to do. You know what I mean? I I was stoked to be a part of it. And um, it was, it was absolutely, I'll tell you, so like, when I was getting into Sublime, like I said, it was like around 18-ish, you know, 16 to 18. And there was, I remember it was like CDs were still a thing. So like I was buying CDs, Sublime CDs at like my local Tower Records. And I guess it was like right around the time that another compilation came out and it had like G-Love on it and um some other, like Jack Johnson did Bad Fish. I remember that distinctly because it was like right when Jack Johnson yeah. w- was a thing. And I was like, damn, this is so cool. Like, this is so fucking cool. Like, all these dudes are covering this fucking uh, Sublime song. So, like, it really meant a lot to me, like, you know, like, whatever, 15-something, 16 years later to be involved with that. Because for me, it's kind of like bringing the whole thing full circle, you know. And I know the fans, your fans love it. I know there was just a big push. Um Get you to do Hong Kong Fooey on one of your live streams last week. And, yeah. Uh, and you fucking did it, man. You did it. Hey, once again, man, it's all, for me, it's all about the fans. You know, if the fans want me to fucking play Hong Kong Fooey, I'll play Hong Kong Fooey. I, I always hated that. Co- <laughs> I always hated that cover. It never did anything for me. But like, if they want, you know, like whatever, man. Did you watch the show or are you too young to remember the show? Oh, no. I loved Hong Kong Fooey. Like, it's okay. just, yeah, I just like, for, I don't know, like, for me, like, the thing that got me about Sublime was, like, like, the brutal honesty and, like, the, you know, like, songs like Pool Shark, it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, like, you could, it, it's like, you just, like, feel that in your soul, you know? And it's like, yeah, it's like Hong Kong Fu, it just, it wasn't that for me, you know what I mean? It's like a goofy, it's a goofy cover. And it's like, for me, it's like, I, I like, like, you know, we did that cover of Dayman from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, in Philadelphia. Like, I think it's like the same thing, kind, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, well, we grew up watching Hong Kong Fu, that's, probably why he wanted to do it well yeah. have you ever heard have you ever heard brad's interview before while they were there doing hong kong fooey with him bud and eric sitting on a couch and brad's like yeah man this is we're the worst band on this compilation and the only reason they brought us out was because it's going to be a big tax write-off for them <laughs> and it's uh it's, 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 a, it's pretty classic brad uh on, on the interview but um you know i don't know I, i'm at the point now where i'll take any sublime i can get yeah, for sure. There was one I, like sublime thing I saw from. I think it was like their first tour into Florida, and they're like playing outside of a record shop. Um, and, oh yeah, like, they just have like this huge PA set up, and they're just playing. It's just like a lot of jams and shit, but it was so fucking dope. And like, it's one of my favorite it, slow rides. Is on that. Yeah, show. yeah, 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 yeah. I man, there was a period of my life where I just was like, just diving through YouTube, finding whatever I could, like interviews, live shit like that, all of that. Yeah, that was like the, the groove tube, I think it was, or, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, 
that that show was. It's like one of my one of my favorites, and there's some there's some fun interviews um, out there too, and uh, that's where um, Miguel and Brad are going back and forth, and you know, smoke everything in sight except penis. So, you know, so <laughs> and see, you know, like, see, like that would like if someone said something like that today, like they would get canceled. Like <laughs> that that whole like era of, of being able to make jokes like that is just behind us, and is what it is. Yeah, it's kind of a yeah, shame. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. By the way, for anyone out there, I'm not trying to step on any toes here. It's just a funny line at the time. In that, if you guys want to smoke, movies, do it. It's funny as fuck, man. That shit's funny, man. I don't care what you say. It's funny. <laughs> so, um, tell me a little bit about Weekend at Wolfie's. How it got started, what it is, and how it's grown into this phenomenon that it is now. Um, Weekend at Wolfie's is is just it's a festival that we put on ourselves and. uh uh, you know, it only happened one year before COVID happened, but like it was, it was super magical and it went off really well. Um, it's in the mountains of Bedford, Pennsylvania. Um, we play four sets over the course of three weekends and then we have just a bunch of our homies from the road to come out and play with us. Camping festival, very family oriented. Um, the first year we did it, we had people travel from all over the country to come to it. Um, and it's great, man. It's something I want to do. The rest of my life, man, just have it be like annual summer camp, you know. How does Sophia like being in the in the limelight so much? I mean, a lot of these times you're doing these live streams and she's just like hanging out, doing house shit, walking around, sitting on the couch, doing whatever. Uh, did she ever anticipate that she would be such a, a big part of this? She she lo- it has it up her ups and downs for sure. Like she definitely likes it, and she's very she's so supportive. Like she's such. Like I couldn't ask for a more supportive partner, which is incredible. But it can be a lot too, because like most people are cool with it, but some people just like don't respect boundaries, you know. And like you know, so she'll get people like messaging her, like like people message her to tell me something, you know what I mean? Which is like it's it, it's not a big deal, but at the end, of, it's just kind of weird, you know. <laughs> like, Kelly, Kelly, do you know anything about that? I do know a little about that. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, of course, you appreciate that people are enthusiastic and and that kind of thing. You know, yeah, and good with- yeah, and that's what I, I always tell her, and she gets it. You know what I mean? Like, and in, in the in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of a small sacrifice to pay. But you know, so it's like it has its ups and it has its downs. At the same time, she gets to go to like a million like free fucking festivals and shows and see like cool shit and get to go on tour buses for bands she likes and you know what I mean so it's like I feel like the good the good outweighs the bad but you know sure I think it's great how visible she is I think it's great how visible she is like she's such a a big part of Ugly's Nation and you know just of the whole whole scene surrounding Bob and Ugly's and I think that's really cool to see that you've really incorporated your whole family into it yeah it's it's really it's cool it's like it's almost like a reality show at times, <laughs> but <it's... laughs> well, you know, she, as long she as you don't that... get voted off the island, right? <laughs> well, she had that nine to five with the healthcare perks, and you got shows in a new state every night, like the circus. So. Not anymore, bro. Now we're both self-employed and buying that sweet, sweet, super expensive private insurance. <laughs> Ooh, nice, nice. So you guys are. I, I see that you just released a new. Uh, a, a new song just hit on YouTube and it's just been getting shared around. Um, you got a, a lot of new music lined up for us. Yeah, man. Like, so what we're doing, it's called the never ending drop, which is, um, 
we're just doing a song a month kind of indefinitely. Um, it's going to be the second Friday of every month. And, um, you know, once that project concludes, we have another like eight to 10 songs that are sitting in the cooler that are, that are going to get released probably in either late 2021 or early 2022. And, um, I've been writing like a, like a monster and we'll probably get back in the, the studio to record that stuff, um, this summer. So, I mean, the, the plan is just, you know, keep writing and, and releasing music until the wheels come off. And then once touring is the thing again, I keep telling my wife, like, as soon as touring opens back up, I'm going out for a gallon of milk and she's going to see me in eight months. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she's excited about that. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it'll be something. So, uh, You've done a bunch of, uh, you know, you've done a bunch of things out there and is there a, I don't want to say a dream show, but is there, is there a band out there that you really look up to right now that you'd like to get on, on tour with at some point? I mean, I want to tour with stupid really badly. Yeah. We want that also. <laughs> I mean, like I, yeah, I, I, like goals, like for sure, like, like bands I definitely want to tour with as support, uh, I'd say like stupid, it's top of the list, like Soja, Stick Figure, The Movement. I really like The Movement a lot. Like, I, I think that, that'd be like just fun to tour with. Um, for sure. The Skints, I fucking love The Skints. I just want them to come back to America. Uh, aren't they be, the greatest? Yeah, man. Like, I, so like, I, I love rap music and like, especially like British grime music is like so cool. And I just, I love, what they've done with like dub reggae and and rap like I, I, it's truly unique in in a in a scene that i, I feel like like gets kind of a lot of people bite off each other and you get a lot of like recycled sounds like i i, I think the skints are like truly like a unique sound in that scene yeah, very and, fresh and, yeah. yeah so you mentioned seen them about half a dozen times my my oldest son's very first mosh pit was at a skints concert <laughs> hell yeah yeah I, they're just a big moment they're so fucking dope. Like, like live yeah. and, and recorded. Oh, amazing. Yeah. They're so amazing live. So you mentioned you're a big hip hop fan and you mentioned DMX. Now you and I are about the same age. I'm two years older than you are. Um, DMX was a, a big, a big part of my hip hop fandom as well. Um, in fact, he's like one of the only artists to ever have two number one records in the same calendar year. Um, who were some of your other hip hop and rap influences that that you like if i'm digging through your cds who am i coming across i mean it ranges you know what i mean like when i was growing up like i'd say like like some top shit for me it was it was like nas and and mob deep and wu-tang you know like oh. obviously like biggie big l like tupac um as i got older i got you know i have had more of appreciation for like like tribe called quest um, and, and like, you know, like the earlier shit and, uh, KRS one, you know, um, but now like these days I, I'm really into, uh, I love Kendrick Lamar. I think he's like one of the best things going on in current hip hop, you know, like pretty much anything Dre produces is, is fucking dope. And then there's this group out of Buffalo called Griselda that I'm super amped on. Um, I know them very well. I'm actually doing this from Buffalo, New York right now. Oh, dude, every time we play in Buffalo, I put Benny the Butcher and uh, Conway the Machine on our guest list. And Have, have I mean, they ever showed? Fuck no, they haven't showed. But, like, <laughs> I just, I, I, like, when we, actually, like, when we do hard liquor now, like, I'll just, like, 
I'll be like, like in between the gaps. I'm just like, like all their like ad libs they do all the time. Like yeah. I, dude, I fucking love Griselda, bro. Like, like on, <laughs> it's the same like Mob Deep. It's just like gangster coke rap. It's like I can't relate to it at all, but for whatever reason, it gets my it gets my blood bumping. <laughs> yeah, we we had uh, we had Marshall on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago, Marshall Goodman, and I asked him. I said, "All right, so here's an opportunity for me to kind of fanboy out uh, a question that I've always wanted to know." Uh, in April 29th, there's absolutely a Mob Deep sample. In that song, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to live illegal. Where did that come from? And he was like, oh, yeah, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, oh, I get it. You didn't get that cleared. Okay, cool. And he goes, uh, but I will tell you, I'm a huge Mob Deep fan, but I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know who put that in there or where that came from. And I was like, I knew that was a Mob Deep sample in the middle Bro, of that. The Infamous is like one of the best albums of that whole period, man. Like Infamous and Illmatic are probably are, are like... Illmatic, I could play from front to end, and it's, you know, uh, Illmatic, AZ was the first rapper ever to get paid a million dollars for a guest verse on that, and uh, and it was just a 30-second, it was just a little 30-second spot that he did on Illmatic, but that's one of my all-time favorites. I'm also a huge Lost Boys, Mark. Um, I loved the Lost Boys, and uh, so yeah, I was a, I was a huge rap fan as well. So it's just funny to hear that you know you were also huge into rap and hip hop, but also Sublime because um, although Brad was a huge rap fan and, and hip hop fan, and you hear it in a lot of his music, it seems like those two groups outside of music don't really connect. Well, like so the way, and I think a lot of this is like similar with like probably how Brad wrote lyrics, but like. I didn't realize this until later in life and I started like critically thinking about like how I was writing, but like a lot of how I write like lyrics and like my flow, it's like, it's, it's rap. It's straight rap, but I'm singing it because I'm a singer. You know what I mean? Like it's just like rap with a melody and like Brad did that same shit. And I, I think a lot of that comes from like, like dance hall shit. You know what I mean? And, um, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's just like, it's just something about it. <laughs> I just, I just like it. I, I like the cadence of it. You know. Do you find it difficult now, being our age with kids, to still enjoy rap music? Because there's a lot of times that I'll click on YouTube or something when the kids aren't around and they're outside playing, and they'll come walk in, and you know, shook ones will be playing, or I'll have some old Tupac playing, and I'm like, yeah, nope, this can't happen. I got to turn this off. Well, no, I don't, I don't feel weird about it at all. And it's like, I'll tell you why. It's like the same reason that I like listening to like Woody Guthrie. You know what I mean? And like, one of Woody Guthrie's, um, most famous records was about, it's all, it, it was like the first concept record. And it was all about growing up in the American Dust Bowl, you know? And it's, it's just these stories. It's like stories about a period of time that I will never relate to and I'll never understand. But it's honest storytelling and it makes me feel something. And it's the same thing with rap music. It's like, I can't relate to most of the shit they're talking about, but I can, I can appreciate storytelling and the honesty and it makes me feel something. So that's all I want from music is like honesty and emotion and like whatever gets that out of me. Like I'm going to listen to that forever. And that's like, that's my approach to songwriting and making music as well. I just want to tell good stories and make people feel shit, you know? It's awesome. So I'll be, bro, I'll, I'll be bumping Mob Deep until, until the wheels come off, bro. I'll be, I'll be 90 years old driving around smoking cigars and, and, and bumping shook ones. You can believe that. 
Yeah, I, there's nothing that gets my blood pumping like like anything in the world. Like, I mean, when Shook Ones is on, I feel like I'm an untouchable individual. Yes, it's it's just it's a it's a game changer for me. Um, Brandon, every time we have a guest on the show, and especially when I know that they're big fans of Sublime, I ask them the same question, and I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to ask you. If you and I had just met and you told me that one of your big influences that got you into music was the band Sublime, and I said, man, I'm, I'm really not familiar with this band, I, I'll give you an opportunity to play me one song to catch me, um, one song to say, hey, this is the band what song would you play to grab me and try to turn me into a Sublime fan? Boss DJ. Easy. Easy. Very good I, choice. I love that answer. I, In fact, Kelly, I was just telling you a few weeks ago that a lot of times people ask me what, what my favorite line or part of a Sublime song is. And it's probably just Brad humming towards the end of Boss DJ. It just... It just does something. You know, I'll tell you why too, man. Like I, and it comes back to what I was saying. Like I, I appreciate production and I appreciate, I appreciate like the band and I appreciate all the cool shit that like, that they did. But at like my philosophy with like songwriting at at its core is like the song needs to just exist on its own. Like if, if you can't take a song and play it with like an acoustic guitar or a piano and have like vocals over it and have it move you, then fuck that song. And, and that's what that is, is it's just like his beautiful, passionate voice and, and just like, a, just a stripped down acoustic. And it, it's beautiful. Like it, it, like if you don't feel something when you hear that song for the first time, like there's something fucking wrong with you. So like, <laughs> yeah, agreed. Much like the song says, there's a lot of times that after it's done, I'm like, you know what? I got to hear that one more time. I'm going to, I'm going to run that one back. Um, because I, I do want to hear that song twice. So I think that's a, that's a great pick. And I'm pretty sure you're the first guest, you're the first guest to say Boss DJ. Well, I'm also like really into acoustic music. So that, <laughs> I, I don't know. No, that's, it's a, it's a perfect answer. All right. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot again. If you told me that you're in the band Bumpin' Uglies and I wanted you to play me one Bumpin' Ugly song that kind of explains who you guys are, what your sound is, what your vibe is, what Bumpin' Ugly song would you play? Day man, yes. <laughs> it's like I, 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 I don't, I don't know, man. It's hard. It's hard. Like I would. No, I know it's more difficult when it's your own, but I, you know, it, I would like if I was putting on my marketing hat, I would try to like, I would try to read you and see what you're into, and then if like if you if you seem like you're into like reggae, reggae shit, I'd be like, man, you should check out Island Time. And if you're into like the punky shit, I would be like, oh man, you should check out Underinsured. You know what I mean? Like it's different. Like we're we're all over the place, you know, and it's, I feel like it would be like way narcissistic of me to be like recommend like one of the acoustic songs I've wrote written. So it's I don't know, man. I, I just don't know how to answer that question. There's no wrong answer. You you killed it. You nailed it. Um, for our listeners who maybe aren't overly familiar with Bump and Uglies, although I truly doubt that, but for whatever reason, um, where can everybody find you? Uh, Facebook groups, websites. Where do people go to check out Bump and Uglies, man? ChristianMingle.com, man. That's where all our information lives. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, we're on, we're on, uh, it's BumpinUglysMusic.com. And then, you know, we're on Facebook and Instagram and, and TikTok and all sorts of shit. Yeah. And guys, and if, if you're, uh, if your children are around, I, I want you to go ahead and be careful. Type in Bumpin' Uglies into that Google search bar because some shit's going <laughs> to pop up. 
other than, other than other than music. Um, but uh, Brandon, this was uh, this was absolutely awesome. Uh, I really uh, appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with yeah. us. And um, you know, for me, like I said, I've been a big fan for years. Uh, and uh, you know, I saw you. I guess pre pre tour manager because I saw you in a real shithole in Portland. Um, was it the Dublin pub? It was the Dublin pub. Yes, it was. Oh, what man. a memory. I fucking hated that place, man. We did. Yeah. Yeah, you should have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you should have. But yeah, I saw you at the Dublin pub and I, you know, I tell people all the time, like, yeah, man, I see. I'm like, I'm like the guys in the group that rubbed the sublime shit in my face. I'm like, yeah, man, I saw bumping uglies before it was even cool to see bumping uglies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it was great. And, uh, you've always been extremely gracious. Uh, I reached out to you a, a couple years ago about getting my cousin some tickets to the show that you were doing here with bad fish. And you were like, man, it's not even really our show. Uh, Ah, fuck it. Give me their name. I'll put them on the list. And I was just like, <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you've always been, uh, been super gracious. Um, and you know, I know that Kelly just has an extreme amount of respect for you and all the artists that, that helped out on the house. Absolutely. Bradley. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. It was, it was a pleasure to be, to be a part of this. Yeah, man. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And, uh, guys, make sure you check out Brandon and, uh, and Bumpin' Uglies. Get in the Uglies Nation. Um, after you hear it, if you really like the music and you're single, turns out that there's a singles group. You can hop in there <laughs> and meet some, <laughs> meet some folks that also like Bumpin' Uglies. So, uh, Brandon, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. And, uh, and the only thing that I ask is, uh, you don't forget about us when you, when you hit the big time and you come back and chat with us again. That's right. Never. Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. Sure appreciate your time. Yeah, for sure. See you. Well, Kelly, once again, uh, another amazing guest here. Um, Brandon is, uh, he filled a lot of, uh, a lot of things for us. He was on the amazing compilation album, The House That Bradley Built. He's one of my favorite musicians. I know how much you love bumping uglies. And it turns awesome. out he's, uh, he's a pretty cool guy. It was a, it was a fun time chatting with him. He's a very cool guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. He's got good stories and, Good perspective. I love his approach towards music as a business. I think that's that's really essential. So yeah, it was really fun. Yeah, I had a great time with it. Now, on top of having a great guest that we can kind of hang out with and talk music or whatever might come up, we're going to introduce a new segment for all of our listeners, something that everybody can get used to each week. And that's with someone else that also means a lot to you, Kelly. Why don't you let everybody know what I'm talking about? I am super stoked that we're going to do this. So at the No Family Foundation, we have a really great board of directors. And as anybody who's been listening to the show knows, we've had, I think, half of our board of directors on the show already. We've had my dad. We've had my nephew, Jacob. We've had Todd Zalkins, Ken Denson, Paul Milbury, Isad Williams. Um, so we really have a powerful, powerful board of directors. And I'm excited to be able to bring some more people um, on the show for everybody to hear from. One of them that we have with us today is a board member that has been so key in helping me run the foundation, especially the last year. Uh, through COVID, she has completely stepped up and, and helped me out and really allowed us to grow in a way that we couldn't have if I didn't have her help. So I am really excited to have with us here today, no Family Foundation board member and one of my absolute best friends, Brindy Pepper. Welcome, Brindy. Hi, thanks for having me. We are so excited. Thank you for coming on. I sure appreciate it. One of the things that uh, Jarrett and I had talked about was that 
we really want this show to be helpful for people who are either struggling with addiction or are in recovery or know somebody who's struggling with addiction or in recovery. And we want to be able to provide some value so that there's there's not just interesting stories and, you know, not just funny things, but that there's also helpful and useful things. Obviously, Bradley's House is intended to help people who are struggling with addiction. And I know that a lot of our our audience does as well. And so we thought it would be really helpful to have somebody who's in recovery here with us to give us um, some tips some suggestions, just be relatable. And I, I definitely think that's something that Brindy does. So we've asked Brindy to come on and and just share some of that with us. And um, so Brindy, yes. how long have you been in recovery? I have been in recovery for three and a half years. Actually, I've been about four years, but I have been sober about three and a half years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. I think one thing that I really hope people understand from listening to this podcast is that there should be no stigma surrounding addiction. And I think our society has strange stigmas about things and, and addiction is one of them. And I quite honestly am so um, in awe of what you have done and what you've overcome. And anytime I hear someone in recovery, I, even without knowing that person, I have an instant respect for them because of what I know they've had to overcome and accomplish to get there. So I just want to start out by saying that I have the most absolute utmost respect for you because of, of not only what you did to get clean, but the things that you've done to stay sober and maintain your sobriety and really um, just make a life that you can be proud of. Because I do think that um, you do have that now, you know, you've got amazing kids. You're a wonderful mother. You're one of the hardest working women I know. I think you're the only person I know that also has two full-time jobs like me. And so, and you know, and then you, you you do so many things on top of that. And um, so anyway, I just, I wanted to start by saying that I truly have an amazing man respect well, for you. Thank you. And and you and the Knoll Foundation are a big part of my recovery. I'm so, so glad. That <clears throat> makes me happy. So tell me, when you knew that it was time to get help, what did you do? Like, what were some of your first steps? Uh, well, there was kind of nowhere to run anymore. I uh, My life had fallen apart in every way. I had, <clears throat> excuse me, I had held it together my whole life. I started drinking very young um, and using drugs very young. And I always maintained a job, always took care of myself. I was on my own really young. And nobody really knew what was going on behind closed doors for the most part. And when it finally came time and the, you know, the doors were busted open and all my junk was laid out everywhere, uh, there, was, there was no choice but to get some help. And, uh, and so you know, I look to recovery, you know, a friend had recommended an AA meeting. And I'm like, that's the stupidest thing. I'm not going to an AA meeting. Um, but it got to a point that uh, I had to, I had to find recovery or I was, I had lost everything. So, um, you know, my, my husband at the time and every, you know, friend I had said, you need to get in into rehab immediately. That's, that must've been tough. I can, I can imagine that just taking that first step is something that can be really difficult. It was difficult. And my, my initial intention was to do what I was used to. I was just going to, uh, you know, go through the motions, show everyone I was fine and get right back to what, you know, I knew, which was drugs and alcohol. That was my plan. <laughs> I think that's probably pretty normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I know that you're part of a program that you have found to be super helpful in your life. Um, 
how important is it to develop relationships with people that can support you in your sobriety? It's the most important thing in my life. Uh, right now, my life is so saturated with people in recovery. And it's because of that, when I have difficult days and I want to give up, uh, you know, somehow I believe in God and I think God puts these people in front of me, but I'll get a text message from a friend in recovery saying, I'm just thinking about you. How are you doing? And it's amazing when you get those text messages or those phone calls. And sometimes someone calls and says, Hey, I need you. And that really gets me out of my own problem. And it's amazing how those things keep me sober. That's fantastic. So how has that changed during the COVID shutdown? I mean, obviously you weren't able to see people as much in person. What are some ways that you've adapted? Well, we first are, so I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous and I have a home group that meets at 6 a.m. every morning. And when everything shut down, I was, you know, part of the steering committee and we helped put together a conference call first. And that was working for a little while. And then we had to kind of catch up with the times and switch over to Zoom and what was really great about it is, you know, California is like the mecca of recovery, um, you know, rehabs, which I didn't know until I got into recovery myself. But uh, we have a lot of people that come from all over the country. And when their time is done in rehab, they go back home. And sometimes they don't make it because they built their foundation here. Uh, with Zoom, we've been able to stay in contact with the people who have been you know, had to go back home and, and, you know, some of them have now celebrated a year, year and a half sobriety, two years. Um, I'm really amazed at the people who have gotten sober in the last year, stayed sober and done it without the traditional in-person, uh, you know, holding hands, feeding off energy and had to do it through Zoom. It's, it's been an amazing thing to see. And I have a lot of respect for those people. Yeah, absolutely. When you first started in your recovery or even even throughout it did you experience any guilt or shame and what were some ways that you dealt with that seriously <laughs> um i had so much guilt and shame it was heavy on me like a physical weight and i didn't think i would ever be free of it i you know when you first go in people tell you we're gonna love you until you love yourself and i'm like you guys are gonna be loving me for a long time because <laughs> it's not gonna happen you know i had so much um, deep-rooted self-hate. And, you know, I would avoid bodies of water because I didn't want to see my own reflection. I just couldn't, I couldn't look at myself. And I never thought that I would overcome what I had done. I thought it defined who I was. And, and eventually I started to change. I started to see something different in the mirror. I started to walk a little taller. And, um, there are still times when I'm driving in my car and thoughts will come up of the things that I've done and it'll like take my breath away. And I, and I have to center myself and, and remind myself that's not who I am today. I never have to be that person again. Uh, you know, I went through the fourth and fifth step of, of, you know, writing everything down and then sharing it all with another person, burning it, you know, went through the eighth and ninth step of, of making, you know, amends to people. And then, you know, the rest of the steps is I, I walk in that every day and I, I have a higher power that keeps me grounded and keeps me, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other. You know, you said something really important. I think that you um, felt like the things that you had done defined you. And so you really kind of had to redefine 
your view of yourself and how you saw yourself and who you were. Um, what were some of the things that you did to help you do that? I mean, obviously you just didn't just wake up one morning and be like, Hey, I'm actually a really wonderful person. I can't believe I thought I was such a piece of shit. I don't know that I, you know, think I'm a wonderful person, but I try, I try. (laughs) It's, it goes back to the people in this program. Mm -hmm. I have the best sponsor. I couldn't have asked for um, a better woman to come into my life. And she's like a mother to me. You know, we, I, I call her my adopted mom and she, she tells me I'm great. She tells me, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off and keep going. And you know, I, I wasn't used to hearing that from a mother figure. I was, you know, I have abandonment issues. I'm never good enough. Um, and she frees me of that. And then again, the women that are, that are around me, you know, they, we celebrate each other and, and that, you know, gives me the courage to keep going and to keep doing better. And I, I've always enjoyed like achieving things. And I hid behind my achievements when I was in my addiction. And now when I have those achievements, I get to really celebrate them and say, I did that, you know, I did that. And I did that to the best of my ability. And I didn't half-ass it like I used to. Um, and I can take, you know, pride in, in myself today. And that, that makes a big difference when I wake up every morning, you know? Absolutely. Um, I think everybody would love to have someone in their life that, builds them up and supports them or even just helps them through their recovery process, which obviously is a lifelong process. But, you know, as you really start getting that going, did your sponsor come and knock on your door and say, hey, can I help you? Or did you have to seek out someone to to be that person in your life? Again, it's one of those God shots in my life. I had had five sponsors in the short time that I had tried to get sober in the beginning. And I had gone to this 6am meeting, which, you know, I was sitting, that's another whole story of how I found this 6am meeting. But basically, I was not sober when I got there. And when I walked in the room, there was this woman, and she was so put together, I just had so much respect for her, the things that she said, I just I could never even imagine this woman drinking or doing the things that I had done in my past. And I had a work event and, and, you know, the people at my work are like, we're going to go have a bonfire. And, and, you know, we got wine spritzers and I'm like, yay, you know, like, this is awful. How am I going to handle this? You know, I had like seven days sober. And when I was there, I just kept thinking, uh, this woman's going to be so disappointed in me if, if I, if I have this alcohol and, the next day at the meeting, I shared that and everyone came up to their, her and they're like, is she, is she your sponsee? And she's like, no, I don't know why she said that. And so she called me, um, you know, on the first Friday I was sober, I was having a really difficult time because that was typically a night that, um, you know, I was home with my kids alone. My, my husband usually wasn't home on Friday nights and it was usually my time to be open and free with my drinking and drug use. And I didn't want to. I did not want to drink. And she called me just, you know, she called me and said, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no. And, and she's, and I said, do you know, it's cause I, I, I couldn't imagine this woman wanted anything to do with me. And I said, no, do you know someone who would? And she was like, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really? Like you, you know, want to be my friend? Like it was such a God shot and such a miracle that this woman came into my life. And, you know, I don't do anything. Um, I, I do whatever she tells me to do. I have so much respect for her and she saved my life. So that's fantastic. 
you have had um, a lot of experience in the music industry being around um, shows and that kind of thing where, you know, it's always a party atmosphere, which I would imagine must be difficult maintaining your sobriety in that environment. What are some things that you do? I know from personal experience that you have not stopped going to shows. In fact, that's how you started helping with the foundation was helping me run the merch table. And um, so obviously I know it's a, a place you like to be. You definitely love that environment, but how do you maintain your sobriety when everybody around you is partying? Uh, it was scary in the beginning and I knew I had to do something because I didn't want to give up uh, the music, the live music. And uh, my ex-husband was in a band and I decided I would help embrace that and I would become their merch girl. And by having a job and having a purpose when I was at those shows, uh, it gave me that security. And the very first show I did, I had you know gone to a meeting before and said, I'm really nervous, you guys. I'm, I've got to you know, be at this show and there's going to be alcohol. And two of the women, one being my sponsor and one is another good friend of mine, came to that show with me and sat through. They sat at the booth with oh, me wow. and really just held my hand through it. And, you know, after that, it just it kind of took off. I really loved doing the merch. It gave me a chance to meet people and ultimately led me to uh, the Knoll Family Foundation. And I think working for my ex-husband's band was really just preparing me for what I needed to do for, for the Knoll Foundation. That's, <laughs> That's so what awesome. I believe. That's so awesome. I believe that too. <laughs> I, I think um, one thing that we all, whether we're in recovery or not, um, often neglect is self-care. There's, you know, we get busy with our lives and so we put things off or we put it, um, make it very, a, a very low priority. But when you're initially in that recovery process and as you're active in your recovery self-care becomes very important because you really are your your whole your body your mind your spirit your soul everything is really recovering is is coming from that place of of negativity and realizing that you do have worth you do have value and that you're worth taking care of what are some of the self-care things that you found that have been helpful well again i can't stress enough the people you know having the people around you that are supporting you and and have good behaviors themselves, good attitudes. Uh, it's, you know, it's contagious when you're around someone who's positive or negative. And so definitely the people, it helps with my mental health, you know, the freedom to speak. And I can, I my mind is pretty crazy. And <laughs> to be able to say all my crazy thoughts and be with another person in recovery and them say, I get it. I've been there. You know, that, you know, the, the, the first words that really saved my life and made me listen in, in recovery was me too. Mm. You know, when I said, you guys don't understand, I've done all these terrible things. And every person was like, me too. Let me tell you what I did, you know? And I had never, I, I had always felt alone in my life. I had always felt different. I had always felt like a misfit and I was always desperately trying to fit in. So when I was around people who thought like me and like to the core, you know what I mean? The crazy thoughts, um, I felt really free. And then, you know, in early sobriety where I was just, you know, I, I describe it like your skin's been peeled off. You just, every nerve is exposed. Everything hurts. You're laughing when you should be crying. You're crying when you should be laughing. Um, you know, I was blessed to, to live by the beach in Huntington Beach. And I would get in my car and I would drive up and down PCH and listen to music. And I would you know, my playlist would be a variety of things, but I would just, you know, sing at the top of my lungs, sometimes crying, 
and that would keep me sober for, you know, five minutes, an hour at a time, whatever it took. And uh, it's it's crazy the things that we have to do, especially in early sobriety. But if you give yourself that opportunity to go, you know, five minutes at a time to 24 hours at a time, and all of a sudden, you know, you're a week, 30 days, you're a year in, and, and it does get easier. But the beginning is very, very difficult. It's not for the week, for sure. What advice would you give to somebody who is busy, like you, with family and work, and feels like they don't have time to do what it takes to maintain their sobriety? I can just say that I always made time for drink, drinking and drug use, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. I was always busy. And, and there are meetings, especially right now with Zoom, there are meetings that literally run 24 hours a day. Get on one of them, uh, you know, get a phone number, link up with someone else, get a big book, um, be willing, be open-minded and, and be willing to be honest. And it, it, it works. It's crazy. I never believed in it before. Uh, I never thought that it was something I could do. I thought my life would be boring. I grew up around, you know, drugs and alcohol. I thought it was just who I was destined to be. And I think a lot of people can relate with that. And it's, it's just not the case. You know, you can be free. Yeah. What next steps would you recommend for someone who's listening to this podcast and struggling with addictive behavior and wants to be free of it? Just again, just just find a Zoom meeting. If you're not comfortable turning on your camera at first, just be there. Just listen. You're going to hear something that you relate to. You know, if you're if you're an alcoholic, you know, or or drug addict, don't worry about the title. Don't worry if it's NA or AA. Just get to a support group. Um, it's it's the best thing you could do to save your life and believe that. I, I don't think, you know, I never thought that I would be working with the Knoll Family Foundation. I have multiple jobs that I enjoy. I have a great relationship with my kids. Um, you know, I have a lot of self-respect today, a lot of confidence that I never had before. And I, I kind of joke that I shouldn't dream too big because I'm at this point that if I have an idea, I typically will see it through. And, um, that's actually great. My world just opened up so big when I got sober. I really can do anything I put my mind to. So that's awesome. Thank you so much for your transparency and your honesty. One thing that I say quite a bit on this podcast is that addiction is such an isolating disease and it really makes you feel like you're the only one experiencing those things. You're the only one who's done those things. You're the only one who feels those things. Um, I certainly know I felt that way in my life before. And the more I spend time talking with people and getting to know people, I realize that that's just part of the human condition. I mean, we all have so many feelings and thoughts and emotions in common. And I think if we can just understand that and give ourselves grace and give other people grace that, you know, it, life would be better for everybody. Um, I heard one time from my therapist, actually, that the opposite of addiction is connection And that struck me so much because I feel like it applies not just to addiction, but to so many things. And we tend to lack true connection in our lives. And so I think being a part of a program, any kind of program that helps provides that connection. And I think hearing from people who have been there helps provide that connection. And so that was why I really wanted to have you be a part of the podcast and offer that connection to people. So thank you very much, because I know it's not always easy to talk about. And, um, 
your honesty and your transparency, I do believe will help a lot of people. So thank you very much, Brendy. Thank you. And I agree. Connection is the most important thing. And anyone listening, you're welcome to, you know, reach out to me on Facebook. I, I'm, I want to see anyone who's struggling, you know, succeed with recovery. And it doesn't always happen the first or second or third. Just, just keep trying. You, you deserve it for yourself. And um, I wouldn't trade this life for anything. And that was not the case before I got sober. I was at a point where I, I couldn't die fast enough. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful to you, Kelly. Like I said, you're a huge part of my recovery. And you're not in recovery, but you just are someone that I can lean on and listen to without judgment. And, and that's the most important thing that the human connection needs is just a closed mouth um, friend who, who, won't judge you, you know, and just love you unconditionally. So thank you for, for everything you do. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. You are truly my hero and I love you. I love you too. Thank you. Oh, you guys are so cute. Well, really cool to have uh, Brindy join us. And uh, each episode, we're going to share uh, a little story or thought, a little more information about ways that our listeners can uh, can get some coping methods or just know that they're not the only ones that are going through this. So um, I think this is something that I know I'm looking forward to, and I'm sure the listeners are really going to enjoy it as well. I hope so. I really think it's nice to know that you're not alone in the struggle. I know you know, anytime I'm struggling with something, it helps me to know that there are other people going through similar things. And if I'm talking to someone who I know has experienced something similar, it gives me a sense of, uh, you know, real, of hope, really feeling like if they can come through it, I can too. So um, I really hope that that's something that we can provide. Yeah. And Brendy's awesome. You guys get along so well. It's so, so much, so fun to see you guys interact. You can really see that you guys enjoy working together. Um, now for anybody who's listened in to this little segment with Brendy and you think to yourself, Hey, maybe I'm ready to get some information or I want to try to get some information for a loved one who's going through something similar. Uh, we do have a, a recommendation and that's the folks over at compass detox. Uh, you've heard Kelly and I speak about them in the past. They've been great supporters of the foundation and the show. Um, you guys can check the show description. We'll have links to compass detox with their information and, uh, just a, a great company and a great group over there that we can recommend that's doing the right thing to, to help people get on the right path. Absolutely. Now, another thing, guys, don't forget, Kelly and I come on here each week. We bring you guys a great guest. We play some music. We have a lot of fun. And the reason why we're doing this is to help get Bradley's house up and built. And there's so many ways that you can be a part of that. Uh, on top of subscribing to the show and sharing the show page information, the Knoll Family Foundation, uh, you guys can also donate. You can donate through Cash App and Venmo. You can go right onto the KnollFamilyFoundation.org. Uh, you guys can make a donation there, or you can pick up some awesome merch. Kelly, what kind of merch can folks expect at the KnollFamilyFoundation.org right now? We have some great stuff up. We've got um, some pins, some awesome pins. We've got some photo reprints from the amazing photographer, Josh Kaufman, that are signed and numbered. They're signed by my dad, Papa Noel. They're signed by Jacob Noel. They're signed by Josh Kaufman. Those are super cool and limited edition. We've got hats and socks and shirts and hoodies and all kinds of good stuff. So please check it out. Every single dollar goes towards getting Bradley's house built. And that's what I think we all have to remember here, guys. Not only can you get yourself an awesome hoodie or an awesome hat or some Bradley's House socks, 
but you're also helping to get that much closer to getting Bradley's house up and built. And as fans and supporters of the Knoll family and Sublime and Bradley, uh, this is a way that we can have our little piece in this story and help get this house up and built and, and start helping people out. So uh, whatever you guys can do, um, sharing, liking, telling people about the podcast and the foundation and hopping on the website and picking up some merch when you can, it all goes a long way and uh, and makes all of this worthwhile. So we thank you so much for your support. We thank you so much for hanging out with us today and checking out Brandon Hardesty and hearing a little bit more from Brindy. Uh, unfortunately, guys, it's about that time and you don't necessarily have to go home, but it's time to leave Bradley's house. For Jared Orr and Kelly Noel, we'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Now, guys, keeping up with the tradition that we've been doing here at Bradley's house, we're going to, of course, end you with a song. And this one's coming from the house that Bradley built. Kelly, it was an easy pick today. What do we got for our listeners? We're going to have Bump and Ugly's cover of Same in the End. They really nailed it. One thing I love about the house that Bradley built compilation is that every artist put their own spin on the song. And I think that the Uglies really came through and did a great job with Same in the End, which is one of my favorite Sublime songs. Absolutely. I love it. So guys, check this out. You can find all of the links to these songs on YouTube. They're available at the Law Records page. And now they're also soon going to be available on the Bradley's House YouTube page. Make sure you check us out there. Subscribe wherever you're listening. Hit that five-star review. We certainly can use it. And if you guys have any questions, you can reach us at Bradley's House Podcast at gmail.com. Down in Mississippi where the sun beats down from the sky. They give it up and they give it up and they give it up, but they never ask why. Daddy was a rolling, rolling stone. Oh, rolled away one day and he never came home. Ah. It ain't hard to understand. This ain't Hitler's master plan. What it seeks to be a man. And in my mind, in my brain. Rectide.